Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Good morning, Sunridge. It's great to dust an oldie off every once in a while, isn't it? All unplugged and everything kind of takes me back. Hey, if you're uh, here on our campus or joining us online, uh, welcome to Sunridge. If you're new here, you're a guest. And you don't know me, my name's Britt, and I serve here as the lead pastor. And uh, every October starts our fiscal year and kind of like a new way of looking at the coming year for us. And so we um, dedicate and commission our elder board on this day. So I'd like for all of our current elders to make their way up to the stage right now. And then also, I'd like to ask you, if you have been an elder here before at Sunridge, would you also join us on the stage? And then if, you ha- if you've been an elder at another church, we would love to have you come up and join us as well. There are a couple of our board members that are out of town this week for the coming year. Uh, Mark Horton is out of town. He's actually uh, rotating off of the board. And then C.J. Bramante is also out of town this weekend. So um, our current elders this year, Eric Anderson and David Williams, Curtis McCargo, Becca Ellis. And uh, we recruited you, Patricia. You didn't know. No, I'm just kidding. So these, these are our elders this year. And I've asked one of our former elders, Joe Shaw, right here, Uh, to pray for us, to commission us for this year. Joe was an elder a number of years ago and then moved away, and God called him back home. He saw the light that Temecula was the place to be, and so we're we're glad to uh, have you do that for us, Joe. So, board, could we just kind of like center up here, come together? Those of you that uh, have been board members before, would you join us like through uh, Joe's prayer? Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity, God, to commission these folks, Lord. They, uh, through their collective wisdom, God, they want to shepherd our church and those in this valley. And God, we ask that you be, uh, take the throne seat, Lord, when it comes to everything, every aspect of this role. And God, we also pray that um, you cast a vision for them, Lord. We think that uh, through prayer and alignment with your word, God, that that be done and, um, uh, we also ask that as a congregation, Lord, that we pray for these folks uh, daily, Lord, um, and the decision-making that they do, and Lord, that they uh, give them opportunity to uh, shepherd, Lord, and as they are called to do that. And, um, and Lord, uh, just ask that as a church, God, um, that you just, again, cast that vision, Lord, and um, ask that everything be aligned with your will, uh, Lord, and just provide that wisdom necessary to do that and pray for every single one. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, board. Former board members, excuse me. And uh, So 
So uh, if you're new to Sunridge, like uh, typically around this time of year, we, we kind of talk about where we're headed as a church. We don't do it every year, but this year we are. So the next two Sundays, today and next week, we're going to be uh, talking about where we're headed. But before we do, I want to ask you, um, have you ever used a compass? How many of you have ever had a compass before? Okay, um, with, with kind of where technology is today, not, you know, people don't use compasses like they used to. It's kind of gone the way of slide rule. Anybody remember slide rule? For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it's like the first computer, only it was a stick. And uh, so I learned how to use a slide rule in elementary school. It's totally a waste of time. Uh, I w- I'm wondering, like, is there anybody here right now, be honest, you have a compass on you right now. Raise your hand. Okay, well, we got some REI junkies here, so there's counseling for that. But did you know that there's a, there, there's a compass on your iPhone? Okay, so get your iPhone out right now. I'm not sure if an Android has this or not, but if you go to utilities, if you didn't know, on your iPhone, you have a compass. So I want you to open it up to that. And not only does it kind of give you direction, but it also tells you right where you are. It gives you your GPS location. So take it out, and then I want you to use your iPhone compass and, and find north. Everybody point to north right now. Some of you need your compass fixed, or maybe your arm's bent. I don't know. Okay. When you use a compass... Everything works off of north. Now, there's magnetic north and true north, but uh, I'm not going to get into the difference, but I just want to note that in case some of you are going to take what I say today and get yourself lost in the Sierras next week. So you just need to know that there's a difference. But do you know what is true north for a Christian? Jesus is true north. Everybody say that with me. Jesus is true north. Okay, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then the writer of Hebrews said that we're to run the race that is marked out for us. We're to head down the road in the way that God is leading us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, in order to use a compass, you need to know a few things. You can't just pull your compass out and say to it, tell me what to do. That's what the magic eight ball is for. (laughs) Again, a reference, retro reference. But I mean, you could do that. If all you you wanted to do was just go north, uh, you could do that. But to actually use the compass accurately, to find your way, to go somewhere specific, you need some other information. You need at least three things. Number one, you need to know where you are. You need to know your current location. Here's the thing about where you are. This is going to be really profound. You are where you are. You can like where you are or not. You can wish you were somewhere else, but you may not be there. Other people are where they are, but you are where you are. And I know I'm sounding like John Lennon right now, but not on purpose. You need some things in addition to that compass to find out where you are, a map and landmarks. And if you put all three together through a process called triangulation, 
you can figure out where you are. Now, don't worry. If I've already lost you with all these words, forget it. Just come back to me. We have a compass. What is the map for a Christian? The Bible is the map for a Christian. Look at the person to your left and say, the Bible is our map. That's why the psalmist wrote in a, in a chapter that uh, Heather already referred today in Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Your word is like a map to me. It shows me where to go. Now, the reason a map is so important is that it guides us too. It's an objective and reliable source that gives us the contours of land, what's ahead, and obviously it's helpful, helpful in determining where we are and where we want to go. Now, it's important to get this. We don't worship the map. We're not trying to become the map. That's only on Dora the Explorer. But the more you're familiar with your map, the better off you'll be. Now, you can never look at your map and then pull it out one day when you use it, and it will help you. But it's a lot more helpful to you if you become familiar with the map, long before you're really depending upon it. And that's why, again, in the same psalm that we just referred to, Psalm 119, verse 12, the psalmist said, Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Teach me what I need to know from your word. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. That is, I just think about them over and over and over again. And I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. That map is one of the most valuable things I have to find my way in life, the psalmist says. And so I meditate on your precepts, and I consider your ways. In other words, I've spent pre-time, before, before I'm in crisis and getting out my map and trying to figure out where I am, I'm familiar with the map. So I delight in your decrees, and so I will not neglect your word. In other words, the psalmist says, Lord, make me familiar with your map. Now, can you get by in life without the map? Sure you can. If all you want to do is use your compass to point at true north and follow Jesus with no map or very little map in your life, you will probably get by. But you're probably going to waste a lot of time and effort, and you're going to go down some paths that you had been better off not experiencing that you could have avoided if you had the map. I live this out daily when I'm driving with Cindy, and we don't Somewhere inside my heart and soul, I know where I'm going. And she says, do you want me to look it up on the map? And I'm like, no, I got this. And so an hour late, we arrived to where we were headed. <clears throat> so don't we all agree here this morning, for Christians, that it's much better to travel with the map? That's why knowing Scripture is so important for a believer. It's why we want to have regular Bible study habits in our lives, because we want to meditate on these things. Because when you really need the map, you want to be looking at a map that you're somewhat familiar with. So look at the person to your right and say, we need the map. 
Now, beside the map, you need something else. You need to note landmarks. You need a map, and you need to note landmarks. Let's talk about landmarks for just a second. They're helpful to us as well to help us define or find where we are, where we are and they're going to enhance our navigation. Now, if we're out in the woods, I'm talking about these natural landmarks, like a rock outcropping or a clump of trees or the contour of the land. If you've ever been in, in a deep forest where you're surrounded by trees or you're in brush that's way over your head and you can't see, it's incredibly difficult to get your bearings because you can't see landmarks. And we have, you and I, we have spiritual landmarks in our lives. When God has led you, where he, you discovered something about him or about your life, maybe you learned a lesson or two, or God prospered you in a way. It could have been in your family. It could have just been that now you have a family. That's a landmark in your life. It could be in your health. You had a health scare. Are you going through one right now? And this will be a landmark in your life, your marriage or times where God led you in a really big decision, or when God showed up for you in a way that you could have never imagined. Those are landmarks. And in the Old Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, the Israelites had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They arrived at the boundary of the Promised Land, and they had to cross the Jordan to go there. And that, for them was an insurmountable obstacle. And in, in that moment, in, that, in their history, the Bible says that God stopped the flow of the Jordan, the people walked across it to the other side, and Joshua directed the, a, a priest from every one of the 12 tribes that when they were in the middle of where the river had been, where it stopped, to pick up a large rock, put it on their shoulder, and carry it to the other side and put it in a pile. Why? Joshua tells us in Joshua 4, 6, it, it was to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off from the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So what Joshua commanded the people to do was to set a physical landmark, to design one, so that they would never forget this moment. And can you picture the conversations that took place as generations moved on, and as Joshua said, they passed by that large pile of stones, and they said, why are those stones piled up like that? That's not normal. And then they would tell them the story of their heritage, of what God had done for them. You know, Sunridge has landmarks. Times when God has led us, rebuked us, rescued us, caused us to prosper. Times when God has showed up for us, and I know because I've been here for over 30 years. I can tell you stories. These stories circulate among us. They are landmarks. I can tell you that we were meeting in a school and we raised a million dollars to buy this building, and it was a warehouse. And we had, we had, we had lower visions of what we were going to do, and we had an advisory board at the time, and the, that board told us, 
No, you cannot meet in that little NPR room over there. You have to finish this building, and it's going to cost almost another million dollars, and you need to do it in cash. And we went back to the church, and we raised another million bucks. So just picture that. I come to you today, and I say, we need a million bucks, which we could use if you got it laying around. And I say, that's what we need. Let's go forward. And then a couple of months later, I come back and say, hey, you guys, I need another million bucks. God did it. He showed up. We went through a split not long after that, a split that, was, that came from a vision difference on the staff. And about half our church left, and another church was started in this town. But we survived that, and God reconciled that relationship that was broken before with the folks that left. That's a landmark. There have been other stories that have taken place over our history. So where is Sunridge today? Where are we? Well, I can tell you recently, God showed up for us in COVID, right? We took a cautious approach to COVID, and God sustained us through all of that. He met our needs, and then when we emerged post-COVID, one of the things that we recognize is when we came out of COVID, we were half the size we were. But we were staffed like we were before COVID. And we're in good company, or bad company, however you want to look at it, that many, the majority of churches in America experienced similar response. Now, I can tell you that Sunridge is financially solid, that this is a generous church. You always have been. And in September, we asked you guys to step up and, and help us to finish strong, and you blew, you blew it away. We came, your, your giving was uh, $34,000 or $35,000 over our monthly budget. So we're going to finish strong. Thank you, Sunridge. Thank you. I'm so humbled by that. For me, it's like it's an appreciation from people for people and the the fact that you have confidence in what we're doing. But man, really deep down, what it says to me is God showed up. God showed up. Because we knew last year that we were overstaffed. But there were a lot of unknowns that we just couldn't figure out. I mean, we didn't know who was coming back. Could there be a revival after the church had been suppressed for a year and a half? Would a revival take place and people would start to show up in in spades? And we wanted to be ready for that. So last year, we took a very measured risk by keeping our staffing level and our costs above what is recommended for a church our size. And the truth is that what we had hoped for, many great things have happened, but it did not fully materialize in the way that we would have preferred. And during the course of this fiscal year, our checking account dropped $100,000. That is not sustainable, people. That is where we are. And like you, there are things that we want to do, and there are things that we can do. 
Now the ramifications of that have been incredibly difficult for everyone. I, I can stand truthfully before you and say, this has been the hardest time I've ever experienced. And as I told you, we've had some stories. We've been through some hard times. But this last year, and in particular facing our realities, where we are, the weight of the world. And that's true of our elders and our senior leadership. And uh, it has created so much conflict, inner turmoil in our hearts. Because one of the decisions we made was to take our entire, entire family ministry team, which includes high school, junior high, and children's, and transfer it from full-time with benefits to part-time. And you guys, I know how much pain that's caused. But I also know that I am the pastor, and the elders are the elders of this entire church. I want you to know that we're not just driven by budget. We are also guided by our values. We love people. And we love the team that God has given us. And yet those hard decisions have affected our entire team. Some people are affected emotionally. Some people's world and the way things work have been affected day to day. And many of us have been affected financially. I want to tell you that everybody who was affected financially was, number one, offered a position. But that position would have involved a reduction of salary and benefits. <clears throat> not everyone was offered the same position that they are in because we are not driven just by our budget. We're driven by our mission. And yet, as we approach this hard decision, this hard time, we realize that this is not going to work for everybody financially, people on our team that we love and value. And those that could not do it, that have decided that they cannot go forward under under a reclassification or less pay, they have been provided for generously by this church. And we have done the hard thing the very best way we could. Now, I realize that some among us might say, you know, well, that's not the way that I would have done it. And you know what? Okay, I totally get that. Sometimes, sometimes I don't agree with my decisions. But here's what I hope that you can see. That we had a reality that had to be faced, and I hope in that that you can trust that our senior leadership team and our elders put tons of prayer and wisdom-seeking into the decisions that we made. I hope that you can see that there are many, many things, not all of which you're going to be privy to when into those decisions. And I hope that you are praying for everyone that is affected by this.
by our individual staff, by our elders, for, our, for me as a lead pastor, for all of our pastors, and for some of the new staff that are going to be coming on board. I want to tell you that I'm available to all of you. You know my email. Most of you have my cell phone. When I retire, I'm going to have to change my phone for sure. And my door is open if you have questions. Um, and next Sunday, following our service, I'm just going to have a little impromptu meeting. I welcome one-on-one -on -one conversation. I welcome open forum question, or forums as well because, you know what? We have nothing to prove, and we have nothing to hide, and we have nothing to lose by being truthful with you about where we are and where we're headed. Now, there's something else that's vital if you're going to use a compass. In fact, it's the, it's the main reason why you use your compass. In addition to knowing where you are, you also need to determine where you're going. You've heard the saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. Or wherever you are, that's where you'll be. That's someone who doesn't have direction. We have a direction. Sunridge has known where it's going for its entire history. Sometimes we got a little lost along the way. But where we're going is our direction. It's what we're trying to do. Why does Sunridge exist? We don't exist to have services or to teach the Bible alone or to have excellent music or to do certain ministries or to have kids' classes or to hold small groups or to have a really beautiful campus. We, we do all that. We love all that. Those are some things we do, but they are not where we are headed. Where are we going? What is the destination that we're heading toward? Why does Sunridge exist? What is our mission People, Sunridge exists to help people find and follow Jesus. So turn around and say to someone behind you, we help people find and follow Jesus. Go ahead, do it. Put some effort into it, people. Because that's where we're headed. Invite them to lunch, too, while you're at it. That's where we're headed, and we're never done. We are still headed toward the same destination that Jesus and his disciples were. The first century church, as we've been learning in our study through Acts and Luke, the mission has never changed. Jesus gave it to his disciples 2,000 years ago, and as we talked about last Sunday, we are still his disciples. We are Acts 29, and Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, 28:19, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the mission. And did you know that that is not just the mission statement of a church? That is the mission of every Christian. If you name the name of Jesus as one of his followers, your mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's number one. Does that mean you hand out flyers at the airport or get a bullhorn and 
I hope not, but, um, you know, God uses us in different ways, right, to be a part of that. It's important, I think, for all of us to ask, is there any evidence in my life that that is where I'm going? How is my life, how is my church doing in this regard? Are people coming to Jesus? Are we seeing people baptized? Are Christians growing? And you probably know that in order to get an honest assessment of how you're doing, most of us need an outside source to tell us about that. You know, I used to think I was awesome until I saw the score in the game films. I don't proof my own writing because I need someone to evaluate it. You don't do your own marriage counseling or conflict resolution. And you don't coach yourself. And you may recall that uh, many months ago we had a consulting group come here and do a survey, Vital Church. They evaluated us. By the way, best response ever in the history of Sunridge to a survey, so thank you all. If you want the entire report, they're on the back tables. But here's a few things that Vital Church told us about ourselves at the highest level. First of all, they said, we could refer to Sunridge as a church on the verge. In other words, we are in a life cycle. Churches, organizations have a life cycle. And they, they're on the verge, and they grow, 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 and then they peak, and then there's usually a downside. And then they have to reconfigure themselves and move up. And, and that's, that's a life cycle of churches. And the con- vital church said that we're on the upswing. And they gave us some strengths that we could build on. They told us some things that we're really good at. We're active in sharing our faith. We're strong in our financial giving. We're comfortable in bringing people who are not Christians to a service, and we're strong in basic theology. But then they also told told us, as a coach or a consultant will do, they they gave us opportunities for growth. Have you ever heard that phrase? (laughs) The most glaring opportunity, they said, was our 50% consumer rate. That is that we have the potential to grow our volunteer workforce if they are invited in and if they are well-trained. And there are many people waiting to migrate from being uh, an observer to being a part of what God is doing here. In other words, what you told us is you are willing but you want to be invited in, and when you are invited in, you want somebody to help you to be good at the thing that you're invited in to do. They also gave us another opportunity for growth. They said that we need a refreshed or updated clear and compelling vision. In other words, what we've been saying about our mission and vision hasn't gotten through fully. Maybe we haven't talked about it enough. Maybe there are competing visions at this church. But either way, it, it was unclear. And then the last thing I'll point out today is they told us to consider how to migrate from being a conversion growth church to become a conversion growth church instead of a transfer growth church. You know what that means? Like the majority of people that have joined our church in the last few years are already Christians. And so they're asking us to explore 
what it would look like for us to be actually more effective at reaching people that are far from God. And we have been working on those already. By the way, don't you wish that you could get like a personal assessment of how you're doing on the mission that God has given us? Maybe not. I'll give it to you. <laughs> That's why I love life groups so much here. Because when we get in our small groups, we're talking about how we're processing what God is doing in our lives and what we're learning together. And that's one way that we get feedback, opportunities for growth. Now, we as Christians and as a church, we still need one more thing. You can know where you are. You can know where you want to go. You can have your compass and your map in hand. You can look around and see your landmarks, but never reach your destination still. You need something else. But before I give that to you, did you know that most people who get lost in the forest tend to do so because they end up walking in circles? That's true. Why is that? Because all of us have a dominant side. And people tend to take a longer stride on their dominant side. So you can see how that works, right? It's like you're curly. That's not bad. Why you? So the end result of having a longer stride on one side in the woods is you end up uh, being the focus of a search and rescue team and interviewed from a hospital bed. So what's the final thing you need? You know where you are. You know where you want to go. You need to set your bearing. Bearing is your direction of travel. Everybody say, we need to set our bearing. You guys are improving as we go, you know, here. Now, this is not, since this isn't primarily a lesson on how to use your compass, let me keep this simple. If you use true north as your basis, the bearing is a direction you will travel in relation to that true north. Now, I'm going to put an image up of a compass, and I want you to see that you can see north, south, east, west. But beginning from north, you can start to see some numbers. Those are bearings. And those set direction off of true north. And that bearing is found by locating yourself on a map, knowing where you want to go, setting your compass on north, and then from there, sighting in the direction that are the bearings on that compass. Now, there's a way to write that or say it, but I'm not going to confuse you any further on compass use. But it's stated like a degree. It's almost like a protractor. You know, you have the different degrees. And those bearings are the steps that you take. It's the place that you actually walk and move. And in order not to get off track, you have to be really disciplined to stick with that bearing. And the Apostle Paul, in his wisdom and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave the church at Ephesus a bearing. And I think it applies to where we are as a church today. And we're going to read it this week. We're going to look at it next week. But right now, I just want to read it as a whole 
And then I want to close out by breaking down this bearing that I think that is apparent for Sunridge from here forward. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What are the bearings that Paul gives us here? I'm going to click through them. Number one, bearing number one is to build up the church. In verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. To built up could even mean to construct a house. In other words, spiritually speaking for built up is to be discipled, to be trained, to grow. And a house does not build itself. People do that, and we're going to talk more about that next week. The second bearing is to unify the church. In verse 13, this, this building up goes on until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity isn't all of us singing kumbaya together, agreeing on our music, or the color will paint the walls. Paul says it's the result of the building up process, which is what this part of Paul's letter is all about. How are we built up? Next, bearing, teach the church about Jesus. Verse 13, till we all reach the unity of the faith, how? by the knowledge of the Son of God. So the church is built up and unified by growing in knowledge of who Jesus is. Our unity in the church is around who Jesus is. That's why we're a Jesus church. Our teaching is centered on Jesus. Our conversations are based on Jesus. Our opinions and our positions are based on who Jesus is, and all of us whether you attend Sunridge or not, we should be evaluating the direction we're going in life, the things that we believe, the things that we do and say, and the way we say and do them by one standard and only one standard, Jesus. Everything else is secondary. And that is the only way the next thing can happen, which is to mature the church. Verse 13, they will become mature. That is, grown up. The church is matured, built up, and unified when it focuses on Jesus and following Jesus. Now, what's the difference between someone who is mature and someone who is not? Have you ever said, that was kind of childish? Have you ever said that about me? Okay. Or you say, man, they're, they're really immature. Or was that, was that immature of me? Maturity is not just age-related. It's not an automatic thing that, you, that we become mature as we grow older. And the same is true of our spiritual lives. Maturity is based on where you should be in your development. And here's the measure of maturity for a Christian. 
In verse 13, Paul says that we are seeking to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul really packed a lot in this. That expectation is a really high bar. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, I am maturing when every area of my life, my heart, my actions, the things I say and do, look like Jesus. Now, if the church focuses on these things and has these as goals, these things as goals, what will happen? Paul says it will counteract immaturity in the church. It will counteract immaturity. He says, if we do this, in verse 14, we will no longer be infants. As in, we will not stay babies. It's okay to be a baby when you're a baby. But when you're 30, you can't be a baby anymore. And the point here that Paul is making is when we, when we become a Christian, we're like a baby Christian, and, and God willing, people are around us to help us grow up, and we start to embrace the healthy habits and things that will help us grow. And, and Sunridge is designed to be an environment where people can do that. But you can't stay an infant. See, the thing about infants is they can't take care of themselves. They need everything provided for them, they make messes, and they don't help clean it up, and all they do is take in, and then they put out the same thing every day. And we won't talk about that because it's church. Now, Paul mixes his metaphors here, but it helps us to get a more robust picture of what immaturity looks like. It's infancy, well into adulthood, and then he says, tossed back and forth by the waves, as in vulnerable to your circumstances. Not grown up enough to deal with the circumstances that come into our lives. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching. As in being unable to discern what the truth is. And by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. As in susceptible to ideologies. And belief systems that are meant to take advantage of the believer and overturn your spiritual growth and deceive you. And I want you to see the powerful words that Paul uses here to describe this cunning, crafty, deceitful, scheming. These are the things that the church, that Christians today are up against and for all eternity. And you know, the last 10 to 20 years, in this world, it's revealed just how immature the church has become and how susceptible we have become to deceitful things. And you know what? Nobody owns the corner on this. Immaturity reaches in both directions. Some of us are way over on one side, accepting every cultural whim that comes along, and others on the other side, are vulnerable to all kinds of unsubstantiated things and passing them on as truth when they are not true. So we, we've run the gamut. And, and is the church divided more than it has ever been? We are not unified, and we are not demonstrating 
maturity. I don't just, I'm not meaning just us, I'm just saying the, the church in general. We have got to get back to the basic things of following Jesus. Now I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, there's a contrast to this, being tossed and turned and thrown about and being, remaining in infancy. And the contrast is in verse 15, a church that knows where it is, knows where it's headed, and how it's going to get there, that church will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That's what we want to do. And that's a really big job, isn't it? It's overwhelming. It's impossible, even. But you know we're not alone in this. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us and guide us. We have a heavenly Father who is strong when we are weak. And we have his son, Jesus, who gave everything on our behalf and has shown us how, as humans how to live. The one that we are seeking to follow. Is that what you want from your church? If it is, then I can say confidently that you are among imperfect people who are pursuing that together. Now I'm going to cut this train off and put a caboose on it. And I'm going to save the rest for next week. We're going to go back to this passage and we're going to talk about the what and the who of how this process happens. But but before we do, I just want to say to those of you that maybe you just wandered into church today and you're like, man, I don't get this. I was, I was just needing some hope, you know. I came to church because I'm going through a divorce or, you know, I lost someone or like I'm just struggling in my direction of life. And I want to say to you that the reason why we talk about this as a church is because that's what we're about. And if you're seeking something from God, this is a place where you can explore that without pressure. We'll answer your questions. We're not going to sign you up for everything. You know that part about if we invite you in, you'll do it. You can, you can pump the brakes on that for a while. This is a great place for you to find out who Jesus is, not from my amazing teaching, but from these amazing people that are walking it every day. If you came here today and you think you're so far from God that God could never accept you, that is totally false. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he paid for our sins. And there's, you cannot be so far from God that God's love cannot reach you. And it is also true that if you've been trying to be good and earn God's favor, and just like, and you keep stumbling, and you, you know, it's the same, it's Groundhog's Day for you, and your addictions, and your choices, and your conflict, and your marriage, and you know, like your disappointment in life, and you know, the way your career is headed, it's like, you don't have to earn God's favor. The whole world is based on us earning something and being worthy and then being promoted and get, getting the job and getting promoted and clicking through. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God 
Our entrance is because Jesus did something for us, not because of what we do. And you just need to stop trying to earn it and let God love you. That's the gospel. And this church, whatever we face, whatever challenges we have between ourselves, between one another, this church is always going to be about that. And I hope that you're going to be a part of it. Let's pray. God, our, our heart desire is to love you and to love people the way you've made us to do it. To live out that love and the ways that you have called us to do it in our church family, in our homes, in the places that you send us in work and in this community. We want to shine your light in a way that people see Jesus, not a good person, not someone who has it all together, not someone who has strong ideas about things, that they see Jesus. That's what we want, God. Help us to do it. We're relying on you. We're desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand and worship together. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.